the Negev, Israel. Legion has created a chronodome, his intent to perfect his time-traveling abilities in order to go back in time and kill Magneto before he becomes Xavier's greatest foe. The X-Men gold team, Storm, Bishop, Iceman, Psylocke, and Jean Grey conduct an attack on him. Unaware of his goal, all of them, save for Jean Grey, find themselves transported back in time with him. Afterwards, in the present day, Lelandra reaches out to Xavier and informs him that the Emkron crystal is spreading out and encapsulating the universe in glass. It's the end of all things. Xavier and several X-Men attempt to send Cable back in time to assist the time-displaced X-Men, but the continuing spread of the Emkron crystal proves they were unsuccessful. In the past, Magneto and Xavier are working together at a hospital. Their newest patient is an amnesiac, Legion. As his memory returns, he begins his quest again and attempts to kill Magneto. While battling him, the X-Men do their best to stop him, but it's the sacrifice of a young Xavier that saves the life of Magneto at the cost of his own. Legion's quest ends in failure with the murder of the man who would become his father, and with that, the end of the future as the X-Men know it. This is Marvel Mythos. Hey, hey, namaste, my fellow Marvelous nerds. We are the Marvel Mythos Podcast. This is X-Men Legion Quest. We're going to be talking Uncanny X-Men 320 to 321, X-Men 40 to 41, and possibly some of Cable 20, because it does tie in a little bit. I am your host, Brian Barley. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Marvel underscore Mythos. And I am joined by my good friend, the wonderful Liz Sparks. Hello. And where can they find you at on social media, Liz? You can find my personal account on Instagram and Twitter at SparkyBoyFan. But more importantly, you can find my new podcast, Scooby-Doo and Sister 2, at Scooby Sisters on Instagram and Twitter as well. Awesome, awesome. So I have been dying since we launched the podcast to get into the Age of Apocalypse, and we are finally on the cusp of that with Legion Quest. I am so stoked to be talking about this. Um, I haven't read it, again, like I say it in nearly every uh, every episode that we do, but I haven't read it in actually about 25 years or so. It's been a long time, so I was really excited to be getting into it, and finally we are here, and I am stoked, and it's great to have you on it because you got to be on the last one where we talked about Legion, uh, so just a little brief summary of where Legion was at coming into this one. Uh, he had been in a coma, and uh, he's kind of schizophrenic, and he had like three personalities, and he wakes up from his coma, and he's kind of like um, taking control. Like he is no longer at the mercy of these multiple personalities, and he's just David Haller. And he realizes that his father's dream, Charles Xavier's dream, may have been able to been achieved had Magneto not been there all along. So he embarks on this quest, and that's where we pick up here, where Legion is in Israel. Uh, which is a famous place that uh, that Magneto and Charles Xavier have a history with, and the X-Men go after him, and so it's really, really this, uh, I don't know, I don't know about you, but like I was sold from like the very first image with Storm, um, and then to me, everything about this, I was just into the whole time. Did you feel similar? Uh, yeah, I really liked these four issues. Um, I also really want to point out that this first issue is called The Sun Arises in the East, with sun as S-O-N, and I just really like that pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought this was a great story. I wasn't really sold on Legion to begin with in the issues we read previous to this, but uh, I thought they really pulled it together for this one. Yeah, so what we read in X-Factor was not up to par with what I'm used to with Legion. There's actually a fantastic run of X-Men Legacy that really just focuses on Legion. Uh, it's it's way more modern than what we're reading now, but if you get the time to check it out, I recommend that. And then, But now we're actually seeing what... Um, what Legion is like in the hands of really capable writers. And what I've found is that doing this podcast, I really understand why the X-Men were like the flagship series in the 90s, not just because of the cartoon, but because Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza were doing really good work uh, consistently throughout their time on the X-Men. Uh, and so I think we get that again here where Nicieza and Lobdell really handle these characters well. And what I thought was interesting in this one was that Labdell plotted this, but Mark Wade actually did the dialogue in the uncanny issues. And there's something about that combination that I absolutely loved. I'd never noticed it before, but there was something different about the way in which Wade handles the dialogue than Labdell does. And I was a really big fan of Labdell coming up with the plot and the story and the plotting and everything and how it was going to go. And then Wade filling in the conversations. I, I just was a big fan, but um, I digress. So uh, they have this big, huge battle with Legion. It's Storm, Bishop, Iceman, Jean Grey, Ar and Psylocke. But uh, the, really, the whole thing is like this time travel story, right? So Legion decides he wants to go back in time and try and kill uh, Magneto before he becomes Magneto. And so that his father's dream can, can come true. But what was interesting in this is like how they kind of handle the time travel. Um, so when this happens, Lalandra, who is uh, Xavier's honey from the Shi'ar, she <laughs> realizes that the Imkron crystal is going nuts and it's consuming everything uh, and everything is turning to crystal, like literally planets, people, everything. And it's working its way to a central point. And she goes after, you know, um, or she reaches out to Charles to tell him about it. But what I thought was cool was we kind of find out later on that basically it started as this Imkron crystal thing started as soon as they went back in time. And the reason it started then is because Legion failed. So Legion ends up accidentally mm. killing Charles Xavier instead of Magneto. And I loved the idea that, um, that this whole thing was, you know, kind of showing from the beginning that they failed, but we didn't know that. Right. Yeah. Actually, didn't fully pick up on that until you just said that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that that was a question I was going to have with you was like, hey, uh, I don't know why my voice just kind of went Christopher Walken, um, <laughs> but it did. Uh, but I did have that question. Like, did you realize at any point prior to them failing that they had failed? And it seems like uh, that, that it kind of went under your nose, like, uh, but it was there the whole time. And I didn't even realize it reading it uh, until a certain point. I'm like, holy crap, this is happening because he's already failed. So it's not like what they're doing. So like they send Cable back to, to try and wake up the X-Men and try and help, um, sort of. And <laughs> it still doesn't work. But you're led to believe like maybe it does. And uh, But those attempts were in vain. They, were, they had failed from the beginning. Yeah, I kind of assumed it was, what is it, is it Back to the Future, where when you start to change things, like, the people that it affects slowly, like, fade out or whatever. I thought it was just sort of a, 
like a warning that something was about to happen, but there was still a chance of success. Yeah, and that's kind of what it seemed like. And and that was the other thing that I'd kind of thought of was like, um, this is very, very big on time travel and like, can you affect the past? And Legion attempts to do, uh, he the first trial run he does is he takes Storm back to her past when um, her villages was uh, attacked. And I think it was when her parents maybe died. Um, mm-hmm. So she has to relive this and she thinks that he's doing it like mentally, but no, he literally takes her to the past and she has to struggle through that. And Legion was just, it was like his trial run and like to see if he could do it. Uh, and so that's when he realizes like, Hey, I can actually go back in time and I'm going to try and do this. But uh, you know, it, it raises this whole interesting thing because it does seem like at least in this particular story that they are big on the you can change the future by going back to the past. So, uh, you know, as with Endgame being recent, I kind of started to like think, well, Endgame was the opposite of that. So this is more like Back to the Future. It's just not in the way that you were reading it, right? Like it wasn't about the Mkron crystal wasn't really the picture fading. It was more of like letting us know as a clue that they had already failed. Yeah, and I'm kind of confused, because I don't... You seem to know what happens after this, but I almost wondered if it was, like, Endgame, where this is just a point in, like, the trees that branch off, and in this world, it's just everybody's dead for good, or if uh, there is something later on that happens that reverses this. So I'm still in the dark as to whether it's an Endgame or a... uh, back to the future type story, but you seem to be a little more optimistic and seem to know something I don't. (laughs) Well, that's because uh, I know what is happening. So just so you're aware, this was like a monumental moment in uh, comic book history. So it's something that cannot be replicated in today's world. What was going on was you had the X-Men franchise, uh, Uncanny, X-Men, X-Factor, X-Force, Excalibur, Generation X, like these were very, very huge, very popular. Wolverine, Cable, all those were were big deals back then. Um, like they were, you know, Marvel's bread and butter. And I can't remember who came up with the idea, if it was Scott Lobdell or one of the other ones, but basically they all started working together with this idea, which was what happens um, if, you know, the X-Men that you know and love are no longer the X-Men that you know and love. And they're in this like dystopian world. And... Uh, the, I think the original idea was to have Jubilee be the one um, that can kind of remember what's going on or like, you know, the protagonist or the point focal point, but it ends up being Bishop. But anyway, the idea was there and they worked through that. And so what ends up happening is Legion goes back in time and he kills uh, Xavier. So Marvel has these hugely successful comics, like local comic shops are, you know, making their money off of them. And then all of a sudden that issue hits. And then the next month, all those lines are canceled. Oh my God. (laughs) Literally every single one of them gone. And not only are they gone, but they're um, a generation next instead of generation X factor X weapon X instead of Wolverine X man instead of cable. So like you have this entire franchise wide relaunch Uh, that is in what is called the Age of Apocalypse. So Mm. what what happens is, without Xavier, Magneto kind of assumes the Xavier-like role, but he doesn't form the X-Men the same way that Xavier does, and without Xavier, everything kind of accelerates towards this 
uh, evil world where apocalypse rises up. And so like the kind of the world that we saw a little bit in Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix happens way earlier and the X-Men are all in different places doing different things. And um, yeah, so, but it was a huge moment and I've rambled a whole lot. So I want <laughs> you to talk a little bit about the story and what it meant to you reading this and some of your thoughts on it. Um, I, yeah, I just like the whole thing overall. No, I was shocked at the ending because I, I obviously didn't know anything about that. So literally up to like the last panel, I'm like, all right, how are they going to pull out? How are they going to pull out of this? And then they're all just dead at the end. I can't imagine <laughs> reading that as a kid and not knowing that like the franchise goes on from there. And it's just the end. I, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and think about it from like the comic shop, right? So it's the end and then that line is canceled. And they're like, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyway. That bit of an outcry there. Um, but no, I thought they did a very good job with Legion, making him much more uh, a character that you could kind of not relate with, but not be totally annoyed by, actually enjoy. So I don't know if your feelings changed at all about Legion, but I I really liked him. I uh, From the part where he says, don't try to stop me, applaud me, I was uh, kind of behind him <laughs> from uh, that moment on. That's a pretty great uh, catchphrase to have. So, yeah, that was one of the things I was wondering, like how you felt about Legion, because I could see where he could come off annoying uh, in the way that he acts because, you know, he's, I don't know, just literally the way that he acts can be annoying. But I wasn't sure if the storyline going on where Xavier not being around for his childhood and um, mm -hmm. him really having these very significant daddy issues, if that was going to be something that not that you related to, but something that you could be empathetic to. Uh, and it sounds like you kind of were, and at least found him to be a much more interesting character than when we read X-Factor. Yeah, and it especially hit me there at the end, because this whole time he's like, oh, I'm doing this to make Xavier's dream come true. And I'm sure that's part of it. But at the end, there, like right before he accidentally kills Xavier, he's like, I'm doing this so that my mom and dad and I can all be together again. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. know if this is actually like something you're giving up so your dad can have your dream. I think you just want your family back together, which is really sad. It is. And it's very sad. And I think it's something that any child from a split home could probably relate to. Um, mm -hmm. But it was interesting because they were trying to build it like he was trying to make his dad happy by helping him achieve his dream. But really, it was him trying to fulfill his own dream and thinking that by giving Charles his, then Charles would have never pursued that dream the way in which he did and thus would have stayed around. So, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was very into, God, dude, I, I'm not kidding. I loved this, this whole thing from <laughs> beginning to end. Um, I was a big fan of everything, literally the action and the comedy in it, the, the dialogue, just the character stuff that went on, especially with Legion and then Magneto and Xavier's relationship, which, by the way, so uh, you're real fresh to the X-Men franchise or series. So like mm -hmm. you're being thrown in into some like crazy stuff that's going on, especially with Legion. But yeah. What, what were your thoughts on the whole Magneto and Xavier's relationship? 
Oh, I loved it. I've always loved stuff where they do Magneto and Xavier together. It's nice to finally have a scene with them that's not all inside Xavier's head, which is um, <laughs> what I've mostly read it as. But the entire bar scene, oh, God, I loved it so much. Just the conversation they have at the beginning where they're like, oh, I think this would happen if homo superiors existed. If they existed, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And just... uh sort of their fight, fighting styles uh, working together and stuff like that. I think they're the great odd couple of the Marvel world. They are. And so what I liked is how they were able to show the differences in the two, not only from the dialogue, but also in the way, like you said, in their fight, their fighting differences. So like Xavier, so basically there's a, a guy at the bar who's getting taunted or tormented or bullied by someone. Xavier steps up to stop the bully and instead of doing like an actual, you know, physical confrontation that you'd think of, punches, kicks, all that stuff, he basically finds a pressure point in the guy's wrist and pins him down to the table and says something like, there's like 11 points in your wrist alone that I could touch or whatever and t- put you to your knees. And then, so he's very, uh, it, it's a very pacifist way of defending the guy. And then the other guys in the bar jump in to fight and Magneto steps up and he goes to fight back. And Magneto even makes a call, like, I'm not going to take it gentle on you guys. I'm a little more rough than him, so, you know, be prepared. And then they just take out the, the whole bar together, which uh, which I thought was great. And I love that they used Xavier's telepathy in there to help give him the advantage so that he knew when someone was sneaking up, you knew that he was literally using his telepathy to his advantage. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, so, all right, about their relationship. And I know there have been jokes and memes and everything else especially since x-men first class the movie about xavier and charles having some type of a romantic interest did Mm -hmm. you feel any of that in this um these are probably the issues where i felt the least of that and some of our past stuff like before i realized that xavier had essentially absorbed xavier's like mind into his own i thought it was kind of weird that he kept uh dreaming of him and just daydreaming Xavier as like essentially his subconscious. Uh, So I got more of a romantic vibe from those, but uh, definitely not in this one. This is definitely more of a buddy buddy type relationship, at least in these issues. Yeah. And so does this, okay. So thinking back besides the fact that you found out that he had absorbed Magneto's consciousness into his own and thus creating those dreams in some extent, does this help fill in also some of that, like, um, maybe now, even though it was that scenario, maybe uh, Xavier and Magneto's conversation and the words that they used in that, this might help el- elaborate on that as well and kind of dissipate some of those undertones that you might have picked up on? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely after these issues, I think it's just a buddy-buddy thing. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's kind of where I was at too, especially just the way in which they talk about Gabrielle and how Magneto is, uh, uh, kind of jealous of Xavier being able to, to, to have this relationship or possibly have this relationship. Um, so yeah. Uh, so, okay. We also talked a little bit about the X-Men and the Shi'ar knowing that the end was near with this whole Mkron crystal thing, uh, where it's kind of, uh, zeroing in on them. Some of the, the, so did you read the cable number 20 issue that sort of ties in? No. Was I supposed to read this? No, don't like, I think it was on the site, but like, honestly, don't 
it's um, so it just kind of talks. It, so it's after Cable goes back in time, right? And then he wakes back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad that you didn't because I think it keeps the the actual Legion Quest story in a purer form and will not taint your score of it. But <laughs> Cable wakes back up and everyone's like, "Hey, how to go? Whatever." And then it really kind of shows more of what the X-Men there were doing before the Mcron crystal um, glass shards kind of consumed everything. So mm. there's a lot of like um, expanded dialogue and scenes that don't really happen in X-Men 41, but they're all really poorly done. Like, I don't mean to knock on it, but it seems like the person maybe understood Cable as a character, but not anyone else. The Gambit... And here's the thing. We did the Gambit miniseries, and we've read a lot of stuff with Gambit in the main X-Men line. Gambit in the miniseries is not like Gambit in the main line. Right? Would you agree? (laughs) That's what you keep telling me. Yeah, no, he's better in the main line. Yeah. Like, he actually is a little more subdued in how he handles things. Um, But it seems like those are the only writers that know how to write him because in the cable line, he's ridiculous. Like he just, it's terrible. But anyway, um, I won't, won't go into much more, but it, it really wasn't nearly as strong as everything else. And all it did was kind of fill in some of the, um, the way in which the relationships went. So like cable kind of pursued a little bit more with Domino and, um, there was a little bit more, I think with Gene and Scott and then Rogan Gambit, but, Anyway, back to where I was kind of going with this. So it's the end of the world. They all kind of know the end is near, and then it's zeroing in on them. Would you prefer to know if the end of the world was coming in your lifetime, when it was coming, and have that dreadful anticipation, or be completely surprised by it? Um, well, (laughs) I just... I prepping for this answer i had a different one and then i just completely flashed back to uh being a 13 year old and sitting in a certain church service where i was supposedly told when the end of the world was coming and uh some of my reactions to that as a very terrified 13 year old um so originally i was gonna say yeah i would like to know it was coming but uh i kind of freaked out when i was told that as a kid so maybe i uh, i shouldn't see it coming <laughs> Uh, yeah. So like if you knew it was coming, I'm assuming you would obviously make a lot of different choices, right? I think. Yeah. I would, would. uh, you know, stop going to work and start (laughs) checking off as many bucket list items (laughs) as I possibly could. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. But knowing, yeah, yeah, knowing, uh, far out in advance would maybe make it more dreadful in a way. Yeah. I mean, like if you, if you knew that it was coming, but it was going to be in like, four years or something or whatever and like you found out after you had children or you know you'd gotten a puppy or something um i think it would totally impact the way that you you have that relationship obviously but maybe even make you a little more sorrowful that that they're not going to experience it and you know for sure they're not going to experience anything beyond a certain point um for me, I'm not entirely sure what I would prefer. I, I guess being surprised by it, uh, just because of that fact, right? I mean, I have kids, and, and knowing, like, hey, if that our newborn Link, yeah, I know, that's mm-hmm. right. I named my kids after video game characters. <laughs> um, 
No, but our if our like knowing say it was coming in three years, knowing that our newborn is four months old, I, you know it might. I don't know how I would come to grips with that. So, I think not knowing is probably my preferred of the two. But obviously, in this story, you get a little bit of both, where the X Men and the Shi'ar know that's coming, but you also get to see at the end where like Magneto and the Acolytes didn't know it was coming and Wolverine and Sabretooth were in the middle of a fight and they didn't know it was coming and X-Factor and Excalibur and all these others had no idea it was coming and it did. Uh, But with the X-Men, you get to see them try and have these beautiful moments with each other where Rogue and Gambit kiss for the first time and um, Archangel is feeling alone because he's finally told Psylocke that he loves her and now he's not with her because she's in the past. So he goes to Scott and Gene, who were part of the original X-Men with him. So he's got this really lengthy relationship with them, and they and they kind of uh, hang out together to watch the world end. But did you notice uh, in, there, in that moment when he's with them that uh, Scott, I think, so like Scott and Gene are literally side by side. He's got his left arm around her shoulders. I think she has hers around his waist maybe. But then her left arm is off to the side and she's holding Archangel's hand. Oh, no, I didn't even see that. That's yep, precious. Totally, <laughs> totally there, which I get because like they're really close friends. But all I can think of are like those memes nowadays, like where it has the where people crop out one or whatever. And it'll have basically that same thing. And I'm like, oh, that's funny because everyone always does that with Gene and Wolverine. But really, <laughs> it was Gene and Archangel. Aww. It's the end of the world. You can hold his hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. Cyclops is fine with it. Whatever. He's like, <laughs> fine. It's the end of the world. None's going to come from this anyway, right? Yeah. Um, Which, uh, it is in that same context that I am an okay that uh, Rogue's, I suppose, first kiss, maybe second kiss, I don't remember how she found out her powers, uh, that her first kiss is to Gambit after <laughs> all of the absolute drama that they've uh, had together. Only so when she knows that the whole world is about to end can uh, <laughs> that be her first kiss. <laughs> so, okay. So she's had kisses before, but it always absorbs their, you know, their mind and powers or whatever and knocks them out. So, like, she yeah. has kissed people. It's just never ended well. Um, it's always been used as a weapon. <laughs> Yes, it's been used as a weapon. It was used uh, when she was in her teens, too, um, accidentally. So she's had very limited exposure uh, in that sense. But um, here, you know, she's like, well, I got no one else right now. So (laughs) let's let's kiss Gambit because I don't want to die not kissing someone, I guess, was kind of her mentality. And then poor old Xavier and Lalandra can't even, like, hang out together because they're millions of miles away from each other. But. So it took me way too long to realize she was a hologram. It wasn't until he like tried to hold her hand and they like made it obvious that I realized she wasn't actually there. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I obviously wasn't paying very close attention. No, I did the same thing. Um, because the way that they do it at the end of one of the issues, it's like, oh, she's coming there. And then mm-hmm. they make it seem like she is there, and then she's not there. So they must have really good holographic te- technology. So props to the Shi'ar, because they continue to rise above anything we do. Until there's a power surge, and then all of it will go offline forever. <laughs> yeah, and then everything's screwed, and Sabretooth uh, gets free. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, what other major moments in this uh, did you did you find appealing or would like to discuss? 
well, we talked about the good things in Legion that we saw, but there was one moment, and correct me if I completely misread the the part of this issue, but does he pretend to be Xavier and make out with his mom? Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to <laughs> earlier and it totally slipped my mind. Yes, there's a moment in the past where he, I don't know if he shapeshifts, like Legion has gone from like having a few different powers from a schizophrenia to having like infinite cosmic power and able to do whatever he wants. And he shapeshifts or at least makes her think that he is Charles Xavier and then he kisses her. Uh, Oedipus Rex much? Oh, yes, yes. I ugh, I don't know. And he was yeah. he was acting so creepy. Like, at first, I thought it was Xavier. I thought that uh, Legion had shown up and then quickly disappeared. And then he started talking super creepy and super, like, predatory to her. I'm like, oh, God, I hope it's not Xavier, because this is a real problem- problematic. Yeah, like, it, I had the same vibe where, like, it shows Legion in the background, and then the next panel, it's like Xavier with her. And you get mm-hmm. this weird vibe that, that he's just creeping and stalking and watching. But then as the dialogue goes on and the situation goes on, you realize, nope, that's Legion. Um, and then I even had this weird thought, right? So like if, so in Endgame, um, Hulk explains, you know, that you can't change the future by going to the past because the past becomes your present, uh, which determines whatever, you know what I mean? Like that whole thing. Uh-huh. like it's this loop, like what you're doing can't change the future because um, what you're doing is inspired by the past. So like there's no way that it can change any of that. It just basically is like this circular loop. Mm-hmm. And then so as we're reading this, I'm like, if that were the way that time travel worked and we're watching this moment, I'm like, oh, my God, is Legion his own dad? <laughs> oh, oh. Right? And, like, the woman was like, oh, it's Xavier. Well, I mean, she thought it was Xavier, but really it was her son, and her son is his own dad. That would be... But, by the endgame laws of time travel, if he would have hooked up her with her like that and she got pregnant, yes, Legion would be his own dad. I'm just saying. God. I mean, to be fair, isn't that, like, a subplot of uh, Back to the Future or something? Like, that almost happens. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it is actually like the whole um, she's into uh, Marty or whatever. I can't remember her name right now, but his mom, uh, when she was a teen, is into Marty and uh, she even tries to make out with him or whatever. I don't even do they actually kiss? Uh, I don't know. I remember something. They were in a car. I don't know. It's been a long time since I watched that movie. <laughs> yeah, they were in a car. I can't remember if they kiss or not. They might have, and then Biff shows up, and then, or not Biff. Uh, Biff shows up when it's the McFly moment, but... Or no, no, no. Hmm. Biff... I don't remember. Um, Biff... Anyway, that's totally irrelevant. (laughs) Oh, my God. I need to watch that movie again because I'm, like, failing my childhood by not remembering how that plays out. That movie is not as good as it's hyped up to be. (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's okay. A lot of those 80s movies aren't. Like, if I'm being... (laughs) (laughs) really frank with you um you know there's a lot of them that are very very highly regarded i think die hard Mm -hmm. is as good as everyone thinks it is Uh, i don't think i've ever seen that uh die hard is great you should check out die hard um but yeah like some of the other ones eh, they're okay um but all right yeah any okay, okay so that was one of the negative things right like legion that is disgusting disturbing and creepy as all get out um 
Were there like actual negatives to this story for you? Oh, okay. So in the first issue, I think it's towards the end. I was very confused about where everyone was at any given moment. I think a bunch of like action happens and I just could not follow the panels to save my life. I can agree with that. There were a lot of chaotic moments where it was hard to figure out what was going on action-wise. Like, there's the Psylocke uh, stabbing the Psyblade through Bishop's head uh, so mm. that they can all link. That was done in such a way that I'm like, wait, hold on. I know they're saying it's Bishop, but it almost was like, did she just stab Legion too? Like, because there was also some dialogue around that, I thought. But um, it did get chaotic and, and frenetic uh, at points. And we did have guest pencilers for this. Uh, it was Roger Cruz on this one, or for Uncanny X-Men 321. I can't remember on 323, but it was a different one as well. And then um, the uh, Andy Kubert did uh, both X-Men issues. I um, loved Kubert's stuff. I did love the way that he kind of would blend one panel into the next. So like one panel would have Legion shouting, uh, and it would be the top panel but his chin and jaw would actually be flowing into the panel in the middle of the page. Um, so he did some really unique things there. But uh, yeah, I think the, the action was probably the hardest part of it to, um, to get through, at least understanding what was going on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the artwork, I, <laughs> I need to throw out a theory. So Gene is like, essentially like, very beaten up or whatever at the end of the first issue and they find her like in the sandstorm or whatever and they pull her out and in that part like the entire butt of her jeans is completely ripped out and then by the time they get her to scott they're like repaired enough that she has the seat of her pants and i just really want it to be uh canon that she even in her passed out state was slowly like remending her pants <laughs> psychically <laughs> like, somehow. <laughs> well, she has uh, telekinetic abilities, so yeah, she was doing yeah. it that way. Yeah. So she, uh -huh. yeah, that's what it was. She's like such a little good, innocent girl that she's like, I can't go around with my butt out. So, but she can go around in a costume that makes it look like she's wearing a freaking thong like everyone else back in the, <laughs> the 90s comics. I'm like, come on now. Um, uh. All right. Any other um, cons for this story? No, I don't think so. Um, I was, it took me way too long to realize that they had lost their memories, but I think you're supposed to be kind of confused with that and off kilter, unless maybe you immediately realize that they had lost their memories when they traveled back in time. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's definitely meant to, to, uh, mess with you a little bit, especially like Legion, who's gone from like this crazy hair to having really short hair and you're, you're not even entirely sure it's him because He's the patient of Magneto and Charles Xavier at that moment. Um, and that leads to all sorts of chaos and craziness that's amazing. But yeah, I, the only real con that I'm thinking of is the fact that it was guest pencilers for the uncanny issues. Yeah. And they don't even do a bad job at all. But it would have been nice having the same one on both as opposed to two different ones. Because it does look a little different. Like I think Roger Cruz did a fantastic job on 321 uh, to the point mm -hmm. that when I first opened the page, I was like, oh, crap, is this Joe Mad again? Because uh, that would be awesome if it's Madden Kubert uh, doing these. But it was not. It was Cruz. But the fact that I had that thought when I opened the page is a huge compliment to what Cruz was able to do. But, um, but the third one, the Uncanny 321, 
felt like it, that was the the weakest as far as um, the way the characters were depicted. So that's just my my personal critique on it. Yeah. Uh, that's any fine. other major moments that you had that you wanted to talk before we wrap up with ratings? Um, well, on the, the topic of artwork, I do want to commend the guy who drew 321 because uh, Xavier is dressed almost to the T, like the mask in that bar scene. <laughs> don't oh know if you God. noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know All which right. came first. I can't remember when the mask was made, but I would like to believe that either the movie was based on this uh, comic panel or vice versa. <laughs> um, I think... The mask was 94? Yes. So after Googling it, the mask was in 94, which means this came after. So okay. the, mask, I'd like- the mask must have inspired Charles Xavier's wardrobe choice from the artist in this one. Perfect, perfect. Um, yeah. And then there is uh, some beast lines that I especially love. I always love when I get some beast in here. Uh, I think it was Bobby. Somebody said something about... Uh, I think it was Gambit being the leader or something. And he says, I'm still your fearless leader in the field and don't forget it or I'll make you do push-ups or something similar, similar leader-like. Uh, yes. I see. I had actually totally forgotten that he was the leader until he made that joke. Uh, so props Yeah, I don't there. think I ever caught up to that. <laughs> I was just going to say, so they, they never really did anything with him as the field leader. But carry on. No, but he... Uh, repeatedly says oh my stars and garters and that is uh maybe the second best catchphrase in these four issues uh you need so are you getting disney plus uh maybe if you do you definitely need to watch the x-men 92 animated series oh does he say that a lot uh yes he does (laughs) okay perfect well then i guess i have to get disney plus just so i can hear that uh it's um (laughs) There are some weak moments in the show, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but most of it holds up fairly well, especially because it is very adult theme heavy as far as the allegories and everything else. Like they they really held true to a lot of the comics. So, um, yeah, I, I if you're getting Disney Plus, that needs to be high on your queue list of what to watch. Aye, aye, Captain. So, yeah, the only other thing that I wanted to make note of was they actually had Iceman uh, starting to develop or grow in his abilities where um, originally, uh, so I can't remember what issue it was. I think it was like 311 or, three, I don't remember, 314 maybe, somewhere around in there. Emma Frost takes over his body um, and she uh, realizes the fullest potential of Iceman who's been downplaying all of his abilities and in this one, he starts to kind of grow. And when they're fighting Legion in the past, you almost think they won because he freezes Legion. And he does it by freezing every single molecule of water within his body, which is freaking dope. Like, that is awesome. <laughs> Iceman, like, no one needs to mess with you if that's how you're going to roll, man. So, yeah, I did like that they were kind of showing him getting a, a grasp on his abilities, finally. I agree. Although, when you said Iceman started growing, what I thought you were going to say is Iceman started growing a beard, which also happens in this. Um, But then I got really disappointed because when he turns into ice, there isn't an ice beard that comes with him. Uh, So There needs to be. I I think there are some iterations that have an ice beard, I think. Hmm. But 
Okay. Uh, so ratings. Um, so first off, props. This is the shortest episode you've ever been on. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Miracles occur. No, just kidding. Uh-huh. Um, it's because now we're let me go on a fifteen-minute like monologue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is going to be a thirty-minute you explaining your rating. No. Um, so okay. Um, wow. Now I'm all like sidetracked. But anyway, uh, so the way we normally do ratings, one to three is ban it from Marvel canon. There is absolutely not a chance either one of us are giving a rating that we're going to ban this thing. Uh, four to seven is borrow it, so find a way to read it on Hoopla, Marvel Unlimited, or somebody else that has it. You know, go get it from the library. Whatever you need to do, read it. And then eight to ten, buy it, own it, add it to your long box. Liz, what's your rating? I'm going to give it an eight. I really liked it, and it's uh, such a impactful moment there at the end that I, uh, I'll i probably buy it if I can find it. Ah, that touches my heart. Liz is going to buy an <laughs> X-Men comic. <laughs> my plan worked all along to get you on an X-Men show just so that you would start to love the comics. Um, no. Do you have stock uh, in X-Men? No, no. I just have personal love for X-Men, mm-hmm. uh, um, which... Yeah, okay. Um, So for me, I land at an 8.5, and the only reason I'm giving it an 8.5 and not a 9 is because of some of the other X-Men episodes that we have done where in which I've given a 9. They kind of are a little bit better than this one, but not by much, and this one sets up something that, uh, you know, defined a generation of comics and is still remembered fondly today and i'm pretty sure we're right around the 25th anniversary of that i haven't looked it up but i'm pretty sure we are um maybe not but anyway we're coming up on it if we're not but i digress cool 8.5 for me love this thing and uh liz remind everyone what your new social media handle is you can find my new podcast scooby-doo and sister 2 at scooby sisters on instagram and twitter and we are officially on apple Go listen to us on Apple and give us reviews. <laughs> finally. Finally on Apple. It was like the last one finally. you were on, which is ridiculous to me because we got approved in like two days from Apple and I've heard nightmare stories about how long it takes. Yeah, so. no, we found out that Anchor had messed up our submission and that's why. So, um, well, wasn't super sucks. happy about that. It When I did it myself, it happened in two days. <laughs> Well, I am glad you're on Apple because that's the only place that I listen to podcasts because it's the easiest thing for me to use. Uh, I don't have a lot of space on my phone, so I just use Apple Podcasts instead of downloading another app. But we are the Marvel Mythos Show, and there are some episodes still upcoming for this season. Uh, Unfortunately, we have reached the season finale of Avengers and Spider-Man, but we still have Age of Apocalypse to go, people. We've got five episodes dedicated to the Age of Apocalypse because it is deserving of at least five episodes. It's probably deserving of ten, but I'm not going to you know, drag this out through Christmas. Uh, anyway, next week launches or kickstarts that, and we're going to be talking X-Men Alpha number one, X-Universe number one through two, and X-Chronicles one and two. So we're not getting into the, the bigger meat miniseries yet, but we are going to be talking about what was going on with some of the, I think it was the humans and X universe, and then some of the backstory and X Chronicles. But uh, definitely we're going to be talking X-Men alpha, which is the Kickstarter of them all. So I'm really excited and looking forward to that. And we'll see you next time.
I'm going to start recording now, um, and then we'll do the clap thing here in just a minute. Okay. Uh, I always feel weird saying the clap because, <laughs> you know, there's that, you know, yeah. You're familiar, well, not familiar. Whoa, that's terrible. Didn't mean it that way. You huh? know what that is. Whole, Are you talking about the STD? Because I'm kind of, all, I'm not really following your... <laughs> Yep, that's where I was going with that. And then me okay. being like, you're familiar with the clap. Ah, uh, um, yes. Yeah, uh, that sounds terrible. Um, 